Welcome to another episode of Tech to Transform, the Mantis podcast. I'm Rebecca Paddock, your host. In the latest episode, I sat down with tech strategist Jessica Figueres and co-founder of Think Digital Partners, Matt Stanley, to talk about how and why the public sector consumes tech and digital conferences and events the way they do. In a post-COVID world, has the event sector changed forever? And how will this impact public sector decision-making? We also discussed data for government. Data is now the number one asset for public sector organisations wishing to transform outcomes for citizens. And there is huge excitement about the possibilities for the rest of this year and next. Take a listen. Jess and Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, before we start, um, can I just get you both to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Uh, Jess, do you want to go first? Hi. So I'm a technology strategist. Um, I have been uh, focusing primarily on uh, governments and uh, regulated spaces for the last kind of five, 10 years. Um, right now, I'm doing a lot of work with UK governments um, on kind of future looking um, uh, technology and policy challenges. Um, do a lot of work with the vendor community as well. I've got a special interest in um, cyber security, uh, cyber crime, online harms, um, use of data, those sort of areas. Lovely, brilliant. And Matt? Hi, Rebecca. Um, yeah, so my name is Matt Stanley. I'm the one of the co-founders of Think Digital Partners. We are um, a media company that produces both digital and conference format content for the public sector around a variety of tech-based topics. So uh, digital identity, cybersecurity, data, um, are the conference streams that we run, but we also could produce daily digital content for those two. Um, we also cover AI in, at some points and also sort of general digital transformation. Lovely. Um, and it's two against one on this podcast, unusually. So we've got you both on together because you have worked together before. So did you just want to recap and tell us kind of how you know each other, how you've worked together? Yeah. I was trying to I was trying to remember when when we first started working so I think you, you contacted me Matt I, re I remember I, I think what it was is we um I think it was about 2017 2018 um I used to use or I still do use David Bicknell from Global Data as uh, the host for our most of our events and um and I just said I was looking for a really good analyst keynote someone that wouldn't just suck up to government and just say what they wanted them to say, someone that would actually say what it was like and to open our conferences. Instead of opening it with a government keynote, I wanted to open with an analyst keynote. So you'd hear the, the true view, if you like, and then the, the government would follow up uh, and potentially, hopefully, respond a bit to what the analyst said. So uh, David just said, I've got the perfect person for that and introduced me to Jess. And so I think from literally the end of 2017, 2018, something like that, if not before, then we've been working together really regularly. Um, yeah, so it, it works really well from my perspective. Um, I, I, I learn a huge amount from the amazing community that Matt has assembled right across um, the piece in public sector tech. And, um, you know, I very much draw on those insights and what I learned to create agendas which then feed back into the conferences. So I think it works well. Brilliant, yeah. So um, this episode, we're going to cover a range of topics, actually. One of them um, is events. Um, so we're going to look at how and why the government consumes tech and digital conferences and events the way they do. And then we also want to look at data for government and what to expect this year. And the reason we talked about those two topics is because you've just hosted an event along those lines, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, so perhaps we could start with kind of looking at um, public sector uh, events and the why the public sector love events and why they attend them and the way they learn from them and have those conversations. So I wonder, Matt, if you could talk a little bit about that from the experience in the events that you've hosted. It is something that works very well for the public sector, isn't it? That kind of sharing of best practice. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, and it, I think... It's, it's a bit of a journey. Each event is in a journey in itself. Um, and it's about creating an agenda that, um, th that the audience are going to want to engage with. Um, so from our point of view, the first thing we do is we've got relationships with central government and with local government organisations. And we ask them kind of, OK, so we're pulling together the next digital identity event. Kind of what are the key topics over the next six months that you really want to hear about? Um, and, and we've done that strategically, actually, because we've chosen topics, so identity, data, cybersecurity, the three events. And we've chosen those because 
They are hugely important to the government. They're rapidly growing industries, but they're also um, the technology changes all the time. And so there's always something more to update people on. So that's one of the reasons why the, the events are so successful, because if you make sure that the agenda is current and that you're facing issues that the government are having, and also that you can kind of show, like you say, best practice, which is really important. Um, so if you're covering off all of those, then you get sort of a good number of delegates come along. And, and the other thing, and this is really, really key. So all of these people, these, these government tech sort of tech experts, if you like, um, they're either creating policy or they're creating process or they're pulling things together, but they're constantly having to adapt. They're constantly learning and they're really, really busy people. So they come to the events, not only to kind of understand what's going on, but they want to learn. They want to kind of hear what other organizations are doing. Um, in the past, some of the government organizations weren't, especially central government, internally, they weren't necessarily the best communicators. When things were going right, which is a shame because they'd have some great stuff happening and they just weren't sharing this. So that, that's changed now, thankfully. But I remember seven years ago, I had to do introductions between certain departments because they didn't know each other, which was bizarre. Um, but, but, but now that has changed a little bit, but they still come to these events to network, to understand issues, to understand kind of what the advances in technology are. And, and the other thing which I've found over the years is that um, I used to do a, an event, not with this company, but with another one where we had private sector and public sector streams. And it was the private sector, it, it was bizarre. They'd swap. So basically the people from the private sector would go into what the public sector stream to find out what the government were talking about from a policy point of view. They want to make sure that they're in line with everything. That, and and the, private, the public sector people, what they want to know what's going on in the private sector because it's important for them to kind of understand, okay, well, essentially the government problems largely are the same as the problems in the private sector. So how are they tackling these things? What can we learn from them? Um, and so, and actually they're probably a bit, the private sector probably a bit quicker to talk about these issues and to share this stuff. So, so that was always the case. So when we started doing these events, we were kind of thinking, I really hope our delegates come to these for physical events at the time, 2018, um, and they actually do network because sometimes they're, they're a little bit cautious, a little bit cagey, the public sector. But no, it was the great thing is they see the issues that they have, the challenges as problems that need to be shared. And they're happy to engage with industry bodies, membership organizations, their colleagues in other departments and other organizations, but also the supplier community. They and from day one doing these events, it's just been it's been lovely to work in it because actually there's no there's no barriers. They will talk to each other, they'll share this information um, and then they'll take it away. And quite often it will be used in discussions, informing policy and things like that. And it's really, really important. I don't know what examples you've got, Jess. Um, yeah, I think um, I think events actually um, play an even more important role now um, for for. I, th I think we're at a really really interesting time actually because I I sort of reflect on um, what people typically talk about at, at events around government technology. Um, in previous years. And I remember all of the years when digital transformation was a really big deal. Um, and, you know, when JDS was starting to have a big impact. Um, I really do recognize what you said, Matt, about, um, you know, public sector wanting to learn from the best of what's happening elsewhere. Um, there was a definite sense, I think, at those conferences um, that, you know, government had some very, very practical challenges around fixing tech. And, um, you know, this, this, this is what needs to be done. I think right now we're at a really, really interesting place in history for many reasons. Um, a lot of the, the really, really hard stuff around digital transformation um, has been done, actually. And we're, we're at the point at which now government is actually able to move quite quick with technology. You think at the speed with which um, um, we managed to stand up some of those services in in the in the pandemic you know the nhs digital um services um was was really incredible you know the covid app and so forth um that really kind of reflected the investment that they've been put in um and the kind of questions now that government public sector are starting to come come up against 
it's not necessarily so much of the, the kind of how, how to do this, although obviously that's still a really big deal. But so much of the discussion now is about, about the what and the why. Um, and so, you know, the, the events now, I think, um, play a role in actually enabling a much deeper discussion. You know, the topics that are coming up, very, very much to do with ethics. That's a really, really big, big theme. Um, and, um, and so I think there's huge value in actually having this, this space, which is, which, is a, which is a government, which is a public sector space, you know, absolutely dedicated. Um, because, you know, there are, there are angles on technology, which I think only government and public sector really kind of have. So I, I think they do, they do play an especially important role at this point in time. It's interesting. Um, I think you said, Matt, that um, people seem to be talking to each other more now. You're doing kind of less of those introductions. And then, Jess, you said the events seem to be going much deeper now. Is that because that those conversations have already moved on? And then at the events, people are kind of coming with their own agenda, perhaps, you know, they, they know, obviously, they're there to learn new things as well. But it's kind of the that has enabled them to kind of have those deeper discussions now, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um... And I also think, and, and okay, so um, <laughs> owning up, I'm, I'm not a tech expert. I'm a, I'm a publisher, effectively. I'm about drawing engagement from people and making sure that the content's really strong. And, um, and some of the real bits about the conferences that I really enjoy um, are kind of like the people-focused elements of it. Um, and actually, we, on the last data event that we just done that we'll talk about a bit more, um, the keynote, Christophe, Prince from the Home Office, the director from the Home Office for, for Data and Identity, he just said, obviously, we're here to talk about um, the challenges for data across government. He said, but the most important thing in any tech challenge is the people. Um, and so much of our events now focus, obviously, on the tech, but also on um, the human side of it. So the skills, the training issues, the diversity, making sure that um, the services are inclusive. Um, and those are really they're not only really really important discussions they're really interesting and you get so much engagement from from that we're, we're getting questions coming in There's, we never have enough time for the questions in those sessions because it just stimulates so much and people are really really passionate about this stuff for a good reason mm, yeah it must be interesting kind of um people obviously if you say you don't have time to cover everything or don't have time to get through all the questions so it must be great to kind of see them trying to follow up afterwards i imagine they, they well, would the conversation yeah and i think one of the tips i always say to um when we have sort of supply suppliers always want to know how to engage um at, at these events and they like to be able to speak and things like that um so we we obviously cater for that in certain ways but one of the things i always say and, and it's different it's, i compare it to almost like a sport where like people go out onto the playing field football for example and they just say you've got to give 100 and almost to a certain extent i say don't quite give 100 keep a little bit back because you want to kind of tease the people into coming and finding you afterwards and actually asking you more questions and finding out a little bit more about this stuff and and, and that's kind of the skill of it but they do they are they are really keen to find out more brilliant um we touched on then uh, the recent event that you just had so Jess you were were the host so did you want to kind of recap that and um, talk about some of the discussions that were had Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic day. We had such incredible speakers. I think what I found um, really exciting about it was that we had a blend of um, of government, um, tech vendors, and civil society voices, which made the discussion so much richer. Um, so you know, we we definitely talked about um, you know a lot of a lot of the kind of key technology components we need to think about there's a lot of discussion about um you know central government definitely needs a lot more data infrastructure um you know the practicalities around sharing and joining up data are still pretty complex but yeah actually as, as matt said earlier i mean the overwhelming consensus from today was that tech is actually not the most important challenge with data um you know fundamentally it is about people and culture um, and, you know, I, th I think there's kind of uh, two, two reasons here. Um, you know, as I said earlier, some, some of the, um, the kind of hardest immediate practical challenges around digital transformation have, have been, you know, addressed. Um, and so there are like lots of opportunities now to, uh, to use data to, to drive, you know, 
better decision making at, at, at pace um, to really kind of radically change models. But and that, that of course means culture change. It means data literacy right across the board um, to deliver the change. But also, you know, the flip side of this is because as the use of data is it's just getting so much more sophisticated and pervasive right across the public sector. Um, and what's happening now is, of course, the unintended consequences and risks are also growing. So we, we talked a lot about these um, in the conference throughout different, different, um, different sessions. Um, you know, and I, I'd sort of, the, the label I would put on all of this stuff is, is governance, you know, um, and governance has lots of different facets. Talked about ethics before, that's, that's a really big deal. Um, so we had a really interesting uh, panel discussion on explainable AI. Um, you know, as you know, lots of lots of concerns around how certain um, certain methodologies use machine learning can um, can black, uh, have a kind of black box um, approach, um, where they you know they, they may come up with decisions which you just can't explain how they reached them, and you know there are real challenges if we're starting to use some of that technology in parts of the public sector. Um, there's potential to end up in a situation where citizens are kind of subject to decisions made um, you know, by, by machines um, and ha how can they, they enforce their rights you know um, we you know we, we, we've seen a, um, a really classic example of this recently actually with the post office horizon case um, where absolutely horrific consequences for a large number of completely innocent people um, which was down to um, which, which, which was down to a complete lack of transparency in the computer systems there. Um, so, you know, we, we, we really, really need to tackle this. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a kind of broader challenge here about, you know, do we even understand the problems we're trying to solve using data? Um, I think quite, you know, quite, quite a few um, speakers made the point that, um, you know, it's, it's we can have all the data in the world. And so, so often the rhetoric seems to suggest that that's, you know, that that's kind of all we need. Um, whereas that actually, what, actually what one, one panelist had this fantastic um, quote, which was the data problems don't stay in the data world. You know, we, we can end up if we collect the wrong data in the first place, or we don't understand why we're collecting it. Um, and we, you know, we process it in ways that introduce bias and we end up answering the wrong questions and they, they can have really terrible consequences. I mean, the one that she was referring to was where, um, you know, hundreds of hundreds, possibly thousands of children were actually being criminalised um, quite unintentionally um, because of the data, data collection problem. Um, so, yes, I mean, this, this is this is why. Um, it kind of com comes down to um, a really strong recommendation that many of our speakers made actually was to consider diversity in collecting and using data. And that wasn't just because diversity is a fashionable tick box, it's actually the foundation of an effective data strategy. Um, because you know, we know that um, we know we know that bias kind of creeps in um, when those who are making decisions about what data to collect how to use it you know if they all come from the same narrow group of people um then you know you're, you're going to have all of those problems coming in so so yeah i mean it was it was it was a really fantastic day and i think it just opened up so much more space for even more discussion i'm really looking forward to the next one yeah that sounds brilliant that you're so right about you you touched on things there that we kind of hear time and time again but sometimes perhaps people don't go deep enough but it sounds like the event kind of covered that so things like with data what, what are the outcomes you're looking for from, from if you can collect this data? How and which way are you, which way are you going to collect it? You know, if it's, it's fine having this kind of raft of information there, but if you don't know how to analyze it or you don't really know what you're looking for, then it's not really, you know, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. So I think having those conversations is really what's going to kind of push, push it forward, isn't it? I mean, Matt, Matt's events are always um, very, very centered around discussions aren't they Matt you, you don't there's, there's yeah. not many um I think we have what what one one keynote yeah and, and the rest is all panel discussions and I love that format it is so much more interesting it, it's um because it's not broadcast you know everything is up for discussion yeah. it's a um yeah so it was it was terrific there was a lot of chewing over stuff it was good it's it's really important when we when we put these things together um, and we've learned through trial and error as, as well as everyone else um 
we we don't let we've never let anybody from a supply point of view sell on stage that's been paramount because public sector just switch off as soon as they see one person standing up they think is that a supplier and then as soon as the name comes up they for whatever reason good or bad they just stop engaging at the mm. same level and they're all waned so we we've now moved away to a situation where there are a couple of keynotes or single presentations but they tend to come from public sector people or people within industry bodies um, and then the involvement that we get with um, our suppliers is if they if they sponsor a session for example then they have a seat on a panel but and they can bring a public sector customer in with them but then we also bring other public sector people in so that the discussion is much wider and focused on stuff that people will be really generally interested about hearing and and, and kind of it's all from a thought leadership sort of like level um, and it just the engagement levels are so much better doing it like this and and the sponsors get so much more out of it it, it does mean that with physical events and things you end up getting more people come back to your stand and which is kind of the whole point of it from the supply point of view yeah, absolutely. So I was going to ask you about suppliers, actually, because obviously a lot of Mantis clients, um, it's the sort of thing that they would be be looking at, kind of getting involved in events and trying to have those all important conversations from their point of view. But as you say, it can be done kind of in the wrong way. The approach can be wrong, um, particularly, you know, if you're trying to talk about a particular product or service. So other than just standing up there and get, delivering a bit of a sales pitch, are there any kind of common errors that they avoid or, or as you say, things that you just simply don't do at your events anymore? Uh, yeah, there is one huge supplier that won't entertain working with us anymore because we don't let them just stand up and do a presentation. And it's a shame, um, although I have to be honest that the one element of the package that we offer to our, key, our headline sponsors is that we offer one-to-one -one meeting organisations where we just invite them for informal chat. And um, when we used to use that sponsor, because of the way that they just presented and death by PowerPoint sort of thing. No one ever accepted the one-to-one -one invites because it was them. So, so yeah, so it's kind of key. I mean, what we tend to do and we, and we find works really well is, um, and, it, and it's odd saying this actually as, a, as an event organizer, but we aren't just about events. Um, but as an event organizer, the first thing I'll say is it's not all about the event. Um, the event is a great opportunity for you to profile. It's a great opportunity for you to network on the day. But I don't want, and I've learned the hard way, I don't want it all to be about on the day. So with our the packages that we work with sort of our supplier partners on, um, they also offer digital engagement. So you've got maybe a speaking part on the day. You've got your stand, um, both physical, if you're lucky enough to have a physical event at the moment, but also virtual as well. Um, so you've got the opportunity to engage with people from across the country and also globally with some of our events. Um, so, yeah, so you've got these aspects, but there are also digital aspects to our event packages, which mean that you get editorial content that we uniquely create working with you on. Um, there's marketing sort of collateral that we can create with you. We can run lead gen campaigns and stuff like that. So it's a it's a full um, kind of offering, really, if you like. And, and I'm really keen to take the pressure for suppliers off of all the focus being on getting the return on investment on that one day, because that's stressful for anyone. Um, and we've got a huge audience. We, we've got 21,000 public sector people that subscribe to our content. We have between 300 and 400 that turn up to our event on the day. Why would you limit yourself to just those people? So, so that's one of the sort of strong reasons why we kind of offer this digital offering. We, we get anywhere between sort of 60 and 80,000 views a month on our website to our content. So again, work with us to put your, your editorial up there. So that, that's really key. And the other thing, it's, it's the same old sales stuff, really. You just got to listen to the issues that these people have and kind of address them. Don't try and fit uh, round uh, square holes and round pegs and that sort of stuff. It just, it's just not appropriate. Just, it's difficult as a procurement person in government as well, because you're never quite sure who the appropriate suppliers are. Um, and so you just need to be able to kind of offer good advice and, and kind of work with them. And the great thing about, like, like I say, one of the reasons why we chose these topics, the great thing is they've all got needs. Some of them are more urgent than others, but they all have needs. And so it's just about opening conversations. Yeah. Um, that's it. So are you back to physical events now or a mix of both? Yeah. So from now on, uh, it's hybrid for us. And, and actually, it will always be hybrid. That's going to be quite a challenge. Because obviously, if you give people the opportunity to sit at home sometimes and not come into an event, they might just do that. Um, so, but if so, if they can view it online, they will. So, from our point of view, the logistics around how many people we have to cater for and all those things, 
yeah that could be a bit of a pain but actually what it does mean for everyone is that we can get speakers from across the world we've regularly have speakers from the us and canada at our events um we get delegates that come from all over the country especially local authorities that maybe can't afford to kind of make their way to london for events every sort of three or four weeks months whatever so so yeah so we will always be doing hybrid events we will always have the online offering um from now on fingers crossed yeah, brilliant. That's really interesting to see how how that will work and have kind of that those mix of people there. But as you say, logistically, a bit of a headache for you, I imagine. <laughs> yes, I have a wonderful event manager that looks after that for me. I don't have to stress too much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about data and tech trends a little bit. So Jess going to kind of pick your brains a little bit now. So kind of drilling down a little bit more into the topics that were discussed at the recent event, but kind of looking at, at those topics a little bit more generally as well. Um, so we've talked lots about, you know, there's huge excitement around the possibilities of, of data um, and data use in public services. So could we just start perhaps maybe by what you think, uh, um, how you think data is affecting policy at the moment? Right. Interesting one. Um, well, so look, I mean, data has always affected policy because policy has always been based on a um, <clears throat> policy is always based on a, um, a picture uh, accurate or not of you know what 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 the real world looks like you know so there's there's it always starts with a um, a hypothesis um, about the problem that's trying to be solved and you know the, the evidence that shows that that problem exists and um, you know, look, we we need to be really kind of clear about the fact that this has always been, um, you know, up for discussion in government. It's it's fundamentally political. So um, you know, years years before modern tech existed, there, there were arguments about the evidence base for you know new policies, whatever they were. Um, so what's what's happened now, of course, is that um, our ability to um, collect and process data um, at, at scale and at pace and to, to, to kind of put that power more directly in the hands of policymakers, that's, that's what's changed. Um, and this is particularly in the last couple of years as, um, you know, kind of some of the more basic issues around access to data, getting stuff out of legacy systems started to um, start to lessen a bit. Um, and as the sophistication of, of tools has grown. Um, and this has led to a really interesting problem, I think, um, which is where we're almost kind of over the years now where the biggest complaint about government tech was that it always went wrong and failed. Um, arguably now we're in a world where we should be worried that, that things potentially are so quick to deliver and that it's quite likely that they will they will deliver so um you know because we're, we're, we're now we're able to, to roll new services you know new experiments out so quickly um you know in previous years they've, they've there, there were often kind of many years, sometimes even decades, in which you had time to spot the weaknesses of, of developing systems and kill bad ideas. Whereas now, you know, we're much more into an experimental phase. Um, if you look at, for example, the, the discussions that are happening right now about the refugee crisis in Ukraine um, and the, you know, the, the mounting kind of political arguments about the UK's response to that, um, you know, and all, all of the arguments sides of being, of being made with data you know. um, it shows this this stuff is inherently political and so i i think that the um you know the, the, the policy profession i think has has generally adapted adapted well but there is so much more to do to increase data literacy um and um you know i i, I do think there's still there's a there's still a hell of a lot of naivety i think about how we use data um there's a there's an anecdote which every, everyone knows me will have heard me say this at least 10 times so, so sorry sorry to repeat if you already heard it but you know there's, there's a story about um uh you know the the, the, the the drunk man um looking for his keys you know he's lost his keys it's, it's a dark night outside fumbling around on the ground and he's fumbling underneath the lamppost you know and someone comes along and says um you know well what, what are you doing well i'm looking for my keys oh, oh this is where you drop them under the lamppost well no but you know this is this is where the, the light is so you know, this is the bit i can see um now you know the problem is he probably dropped his keys you know 
not not under the lamppost somewhere else but you know that this is the classic cha challenge with data we almost always start by trying to solve problems using the data we have now and in many many cases the data we have now will not be the right data that we need to solve that problem if indeed this is a problem which is amenable to being solved using this kind of approach anyway so um so yes i, I think it, it, it's key around um data literacy uh, policy has to be data literate right right from the start um you know while we're sort of thinking about goals um and um you know not just can we do this but sh should we do it you know there's so, so many ideas that we just we just shouldn't do it at all in the first place you know try something else yeah, that's interesting when you say about, um, you know, have we got enough kind of data now? So is it a case of going back further and looking at trying to find more and put it in a, in a, um, a format that is usable? Or is it a case of we need longer to collect the data you know, that we haven't already got yet, if you see what I mean? Is it a case of it can't move forward until we have more to review or is it that it's there, we just need to look further? Um, well, it depends what problem we're trying to solve, obviously. Um, I think there is a huge attraction um, to, to any decision maker. This obviously is not just government. Um, you know, when they're trying to solve a problem, it's to look at the data we have now. And that tends to be, uh, tends to be data in operational systems. So this is systems that are running all year round anyway. So it's the data we're already collecting. And... Um, you know, so, so much of the focus is always naturally, you know, well, let's, let's see what we can get out of that. Um, now, if that's not going to be helpful to answering our problem, then, then we have an issue, don't we? Because we need to, we need to start asking, well, what, what other ways would there be to find out? Um, that, you know, that there may be ways of, um, of processing what we already have in new ways. Um, so of course this is this is where the huge focus now on analytics comes in and using data science uh, to derive more answers. Um, there is huge innovation going on in the whole area of uh, you know um, pattern detection. Um, you know that's that's really really exciting. There are advances made there, uh, particularly in law enforcement, actually is really interesting. Um, and that that it that is that is all kind of that is all good stuff. Um, some other areas where we say okay well we, we don't collect this data now so then we have a choice um are we going to um are we going to start create uh, collecting some new data on an ongoing basis so do we make operational data in which case that's quite a big deal because they're um you know you're you're, you're putting a burden on someone depending on what what you're what you're collecting data about um, does that mean that um, you know employees or citizens or someone are going to have to provide some more data or are you going to be asking businesses to give more data all of this imposes a bit of a cost doesn't it uh, so that, that's um, that's a big that's a big kind of question um, if you look at for example what's been happening with the COVID stats um, during the pandemic, the UK developed an absolutely incredible data collection infrastructure. I mean, really, really sophisticated. And this is everything from genomic sequencing to the, uh, you know, doorstep survey to the ONS, you know, coming, uh, doing, doing all sorts of tests. Um, and, you know, that, that's provided researchers with, with an incredibly rich um, um, source, you know, there, um, which is, which is, really 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 kind of spurred on spurred on the science and it's 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 i mean it's it saved lives you know literally um but you know that the, the data infrastructure is is costs to maintain you know and that it's a political decision as to whether one you know wants to carry on that and so some of that infrastructure is now being wound down so you know that that's the kind of classic example of the kind of the kind of uh, decisions and trade-offs that policy makers need to need to think about there are other situations in which actually a, a one-off data um, data collection exercise might be might be perfectly fine, and what you find there is that um, where uh, parts of the government or indeed the private sector are looking to develop expertise in an area where they really really need to learn about something, um, but they they don't necessarily need the data 
um, they don't necessarily need operational data real time. They don't need to interact with it all the time. They, you know, they, they need a big repository to go and uh, you know, spot, spot patterns and understand and learn. And then they can use that to, 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 to build models, which will then feed into you know, whatever it is, broad analytics or whatever. Um, and that they, can, they can do that in other ways. You know, that, that can be kind of one-off data, data sourcing exercise. But yeah, I mean, I think what we've, um, what we've developed now um, over the last few years, really interesting. I mean, we, we have the notion of a data supply chain now, which didn't really exist before. Um, there is a lot more focus, quite rightly, on, on provenance of data, where it came from in the first place. There's much more of an understanding that we, you know, we, we, we really need to ask a hell of a lot of questions about how and why that data was collected in the first place. And that tells us about, you know, ways in which we can use it that, that are going to be credible and valid and, you know, usages which, which frankly, will be quite, quite suspect, you know. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, realistically, we've kind of talked about challenges and barriers and that sort of thing, but can we, I'm going to ask you an impossible question, Agnes, I'm asking you to predict the future, but can we expect to see any leaps forward in this area this year? Um, so, I think that... Um, so I, I've been mainly talking about challenges, which has kind of come under the kind of broad, broad umbrella term of, of governance. Um, and I, I do think, I do think that the um, the um, situation in terms of governance and kind of thinking on this is moving is moving quite quickly. Um, and I'm actually going to say that it's not necessarily the data issues that are driving this. I think what's really driving this is actually. Um, is actually cybersecurity. Um, if if you sort of think in terms of what's generally happening in technology, bigger bigger picture, we're very much at um, a point at which government, private sector, everyone is kind of digesting previous ways of change. You think the very rapid, rapid pace we had of cloud adoption, um, the um, the rollout everywhere of agile software development, which means we can deliver digital services really, really quickly now. Um, and so, you know, we're in a place now where what we have is, um, you know, we have very sophisticated technology in place um, in, in many organisations, um, but, but the challenge is governing it. It's some areas, a real lack of transparency um, and um, it, it issues, around, issues around resilience. But the thing which has really, really brought this home for most organisations is cybersecurity. And the frankly horrific challenges we've we've seen in the last couple of years with the rapid you know ramp up in in ransomware, um, the fact that it's become such a mainstream experience, um, you know a couple a couple of years ago when an organisation had a cyber breach, it was um, I mean it was it was if they could they would they would they would hush it up you know it was it was sort of seen as um, uh, you know, I mean, sh shameful. You know, quite rightly, as a sort of lack of um, lack of preparedness. You know, um, whereas now so many organisations are being hit. You know, we have to see this as a mainstream problem, and it's something we have to talk about. And so, um, you know, government, national cyber security centre in particular, which is the technical authority on this, has really, really been kind of leading this notion of um, of kind of yeah, I mean, it's it just kind of greater transparency. It's we, we, we cannot nail everything to the floor. We can't protect our organisations against every risk. But what we must and we can do um, is, is to develop a much, much clearer understanding of what we actually have, you know, what, what is our attack surface? What's our exposure here? What, what is our infrastructure? Where are, the, where are the loopholes in it? Where are the issues? Um, where are the places where things are falling between the gaps? You know, managing hybrid environments, for example, is very challenging. Um, and so I, I, th I think it is actually the, the cybersecurity challenge, which is bringing in quite quickly new ways of thinking about, um, you know, technology risk in the broadest sense as well. And um, I, I, I very much hope it is um, being put onto uh, board agendas, actually. Um, the work I'm doing with the UK Cybersecurity Council, that's certainly our intention. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 am, I am optimistic, actually, that um, all of these issues are kind of moving, moving up the, um, the, the radar and 
driving positive change, hopefully. I think perhaps this feeds into my last question on tech trends as well for you, Jess. So we um, we also spoke, we did another podcast together in 2020. I think it was actually coming towards the end of the first lockdown, unbelievably. Um, it doesn't seem like that long ago at all. But um, I think then I asked you a question that I'd quite like to ask you now. And it was talking about kind of government funding for tech and how it how it previously it had been quite cyclical. You know, one year it was talking very much or focusing much more on, say, health tech investment and then another year or the year previously it could be ed tech then police tech and so on but since 2020 that that kind of process has has been you know a a lot a lot more up in the air as as we can all expect and imagine Um, it doesn't seem to be kind of focused on one area so much and it can't be Um, where do you think will there be more of a focus this year will it be on as you say cybersecurity and data Um, or is there going is that focus going to continue to be kind of innovation across the board what what do you kind of again, predicting the future, but for the rest of this year and perhaps into next year, what do you think will happen? So across the board, the focus is going to be resilience um, and that that takes in cybersecurity plus really. And it's all of those themes I talked about um, around, um, you know, developing a really, really good understanding of what what we have, you know, um, and um, continuing to, try to kind of re- reduce our our, ta- uh, our attack surface um but you know Im- improve generally how um how tech is managed on an ongoing basis um so I, th- I think that will continue to be a focus yeah i, th- I think you know you, you talked about how um spending sort of seems to veer wildly from one policy priority to another um i i don't see that changing in all honesty um it's just the way that, that government works um set settlements do do tend to you know as, as you know I mean they're departmental and it depends on the, the government of the day what their policies are and the uh, the money will tend to um follow um i was um interested in the potential of um leveling up um you know, in, in theory um that could pull all sorts of funding um, streams behind it, particularly focusing on transport and potentially education. Um, but in all honesty, I think the funding we've seen on that so far has been really, really disappointing. Um, so, yeah, in terms of priorities, I would uh, put my money on um, health and um, law enforcement generally, I think, are going to be the two, the two kind of key areas. Mm. Okay, brilliant. Um, so let's go back to um, what's, as we were looking ahead there as well, let's go back to events as well. So bringing you back in, Matt, um, could you kind of tell me what you've got, uh, what the agenda's looking like for the rest of the year? Are, are events kind of along these similar things, or what have you got planned? Yes, so um, we've got two events, uh, almost back to back, actually, uh, in June. Yeah, so we've got two events in June, which we're um, kind of working on sort of at the moment so we've got digital identity for government on the 16th of june and cyber security for government on the 23rd of june the cyber event i've worked really closely with jess on in terms of obviously her role at the uk Cybersecurity council so we've made sure that we've worked and created this agenda that really focuses um very closely on the new uh, government cybersecurity strategy so so those are the kind of the two upcoming events if you like that we're working on and then we will run both the data the cybersecurity, and the identity ones again later in the year as well october november and december we're spreading them out a little bit and people can come to those they can come along yeah they will be they will be fingers crossed they will be a hybrid event so we will try and get as many people in the doors as possible um because that's it's yeah it's, it's really really tough people have wanted to come to to physical events again and they're desperate to get back to them and they've started to do it um the venue that we use for our physical events is is a great venue um one great george street in in westminster so it's perfect for central government to attend because they, they're obviously all centered all around there and they can just nip out um and for, lo- for local gov they, they do like to come out and meet people but it's just obviously a bit more of a challenge for them so yeah absolutely um jess is there anything in the pipeline you want to tell us about it's always a dangerous question to ask me because I generally have about kind of 40 projects in the pipeline, you know, and uh, being kind of forced, forced to kind of pick one is generally a bit challenging. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, 
really excited about uh, everything that's planned for the UK Cybersecurity Council this year. Um, so we were launched um, last year, um, uh, backed by government to support the cybersecurity profession in the UK. Um, we we onboarded our new chief executive last September, um, uh, so Simon Hepburn, who's been an absolute superb job, um, currently kind of on, on a roadshow, getting out and about, uh, build, building uh, building links, um, partnering with you know every organisation which which has kind of skin in the game with cybersecurity, very much kind of getting the word out there. Um, and this year we're going to be doing a lot of work around um, career paths, the profession, around uh, qualifications, and um, a lot more. So yeah, we're really excited about that. That's great. There is uh, one other thing actually I could mention if you like. Um, so um, so we. We ran an event specifically for suppliers um, probably about five years ago now, um, and it was a, a, it was a, to help them understand more about the frameworks that they are are on for, for government procurement and how to actually engage with them. Um, we worked with our partners at Advice Cloud on it at the time, and we will do that again. We haven't got a date for it in mind, but it will basically be an agenda that forms. Um, the morning will be government speakers saying it will be CCS or GDS talking about why the frameworks have been created and kind of the, the good things about them and, and, and kind of what you need to know. Um, then there'll be some public sector buyers talking about, OK, so from from our point of view, this is our day. This is what we do every day. This is, these are the obstacles that we have to overcome to buy from you or anybody else. So what we're trying to do is give the suppliers a better understanding of kind of how the frameworks work uh, and the internal policy and structure. Um, and then in the afternoon, we'll kind of look at kind of things like um, maybe uh, tender monitoring services, Stottles, we work with a partner on those sorts of things. And, and our partners at Vice Cloud, we kind of talk about other outside sort of um, organizations that can help you with your framework management and things like that. And we'll also have kind of a few sessions from um, suppliers that effectively sell on the frameworks and how they do it and hear some of their stories. Uh, and it's just really to kind of help some of those suppliers that are on the frameworks and just aren't doing kind of the business or getting the engagement that they thought they might when they started doing it. I spoke to somebody at CCS a couple of weeks ago and just said, we did this a long time ago, thinking about bringing it back. What do you think? And they just said, yes, definitely do it. We, they'd work with us on it. So that will probably be a second half of the year thing. But um, so I'll, I'll let you know when it happens, but it's certainly a, a great learn for, for the suppliers. Yeah, brilliant. Sounds great. Okay, um, there's just one more question, so which we ask all of our podcast attendees. Um, so we usually say, um, if you had 10 minutes in a taxi with Sajid Javid, what would you say or what would you ask him? Um, I wonder if um, for the two of you, it might be a bit more appropriate to perhaps have Michael Gove. But instead, I'm just going to say, if you had 10 minutes in a taxi with a government minister, what would you say to them? So Matt, did you want to go first on that one? Oh, I'm glad that you... Um... That you changed it from Michael Gove, to be honest, because I would have just sealed the taxi doors and not let him ever go. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm not going to name obviously somebody I'd want to be chatting the taxi with from the government official. I, I just want, I, I want there to be good communication. I want, want there to be more transparency. And I want, I have a big goal with the people that I talk to in government is I want to kind of humanize some of the departments. From a from somebody who's look outside looking in at government, you, for example, you look at DCMS and you look at some of the job titles, of some of the people there, and you just don't understand what they do. Just from a job title, you have no idea what that means. And so I really would like to kind of be able to sort of humanize government. I want to um, kind of understand who that person is, what their job title actually means, what their objectives are, what their day job means to the citizens. Because then I think if we can communicate that, then I think people on the outside will have more time for them, more understanding, and they'll be a bit more, they give them a bit more leeway in some of the situations that they find themselves in. And, 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 and knowledge is power, and it's really important for us to understand and, and help where we can some of these people. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily a question, it's more of a request, really, I think. Yeah, great. Jess, what would you say? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm happy to tackle Michael Gove. Um, <laughs> he he has a, a a really important brief, you know, um, and um, it's a it's a shame to see the volume on levelling up 
being turned down so much, you know. Um, already mentioned how um, it's just it's it, it's just it's just not funded anywhere near you know what it should what it what it should be. And I think the frustrating thing here is that you know the the, the potential um, is is really incredible. Um, if we look at what was what's been achieved in Scotland and Wales through through devolution. Um, it's actually been really, really exciting. The ability um, for the Scottish and Welsh governments, respectively, to, to innovate um, has been has been massively. It's been supercharged just because you know you you can do things which are more tailored towards the needs of the local population. You can move faster because you don't have to um, uh, you know you don't have to collaborate with so many people. Um, very very effective way to develop effective policy. Um, and you know, it's much more cost effective as well. And um, you know, we'd much rather see tech spend following successful policy. Um, if we could do that in England now, with much further and deeper devolution to uh, to, the, to the cities and regions, which is honestly, I mean, this is what everyone wants. Nobody doesn't want this to happen. You know, there's there's support right across government and beyond. Um, you know, we look at what's happened, for example, in Greater Manchester. Um, that that is an area now where they have really significant powers over everything, health and social care. You know, to, to transport skills and the lot. And this means is that, uh, you know, that that kind of city region can can yeah develop effective policies, and the, the citizens in that area can work directly, you know, with their local institutions and, and find models that, that work for them. And for that. The same, the same to happen in all parts of the country. So, so yeah, that's 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 what I'd say to Michael Gove. You know, let's let's see, see some real real commitments. Let's see some real funding, and let's let's get all of those city deals and, and devolution deals in place, and see some positive change. Brilliant. I think leveling up is so important. And personally, I just think to give it to Michael Gove, it's um. It's the one person that just alienates half of the audience every in every project he's had. So I think, yeah, it's a massive challenge. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much, both of you, for talking to me. It's really interesting. Um, really excited to hear about um, the events that you've got coming up later this year as well. So we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.